This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. As our next guest states in his new book, we are at a convergence where new technologies are impacting various areas of our lives. These shifts are going to make change our lives and how and those uh, future generations significantly. Much of that conversation today links back to artificial intelligence. Peter Diamandis writes about this in his book, The Future is Faster Than You Think, authored with journalist Stephen Kotler. Peter is also the founder of more than 20 high-tech companies, including XPRIZE, and he joins us right now. Peter, welcome to the show. Thank you for your time today. Dan, good morning to you. Thank you. Thank you. I would assume that the speed of all of these changes that you're talking about, to a degree, are unknown by a large segment of the public at this point. Yeah, I think... Few people understand how fast the world is changing, and it's, uh, it isn't that any one area is by itself changing rapidly. It's these four, five, six areas that are converging. So computation, sensors, networks, AI, robotics, 3D printing, augmented virtual reality, all of these things are moving rapidly. And as they're coming together, they're changing the way we do business. They're changing finance, insurance, entertainment, healthcare, education across the board. And, you know, part of the reason that, um, that I wrote this book was to people fear what they don't understand. And if they are feeling fearful about the future, that's a bad place to run our nation, your company, your family from. So the goal here is giving people a view of what's coming down the pike really how exciting it is, how empowering it's going to be for all of us. So those elements that you just uh, you just mentioned, all of them coming together at, at kind of the same time, is it, I, I guess the best way to say, is a little bit of dumb luck that we have all of these kind of playing at, uh, and bringing coming together at this point? <laughs> uh, no, I would say they're all riding on top of a wave of increasing computational power. So as computers are getting faster, and we, those of you who are in the tech industry would know this as Moore's Law, the notion that your computer is getting twice as fast roughly every 18 to 24 months for the same dollar. Um, as computers are getting faster, everything that is riding on top of computation, so 3D printing and, again, sensors and networks and AI and robotics, all these things uh, are getting more and more capable. We're discovering uh, better materials as a result of this. And those materials allow us to print different things and create different things. And robots, um, to a large degree, are becoming more capable because of artificial intelligence, what you mentioned in the beginning, and machine learning. And so it's just then empowering us to do things cheaper. So a dollar goes a lot further. It used to be, for example, that sequencing the human genome in 2001 was a roughly $100 million expense. Today, you can sequence an entire human genome for well under $1,000 or pushing $100. So, again, you can do much more per dollar. There are more people in the world connected, more people empowered by technology, discovering more and more things. And all of these things are accelerating the rate at which technology is itself accelerating. I would imagine this has to make you pretty optimistic in terms of how all of these elements are going to come together and what this means probably for the public in general. It it makes me very optimistic, and one of the reasons is because I look at the data. The first book that I had co-authored with Stephen Kotler is a book called uh, Abundance, The Future is Better Than You Think. The challenge is that most people uh, don't think the world is getting better. Most people 
feel like the world for themselves, their kids, their grandkids are getting worse. In fact, I just looked at a study that said only 8% of Americans felt that the world was getting better compared to uh, 92% who thought it was getting worse or staying the same. But if you look at the data, it's extraordinary. Over the last decade, we have taken half of the world, well, we've taken half of the people in extreme poverty out of extreme poverty. We've yep. driven it from 16% to 8%. We've dropped childhood mortality by 22%. We've reduced uh, death due to famine by ninefold. We've increased the amount of solar energy available on the planet, 10x. The global GDP has increased 33%. And there's literally 100 charts that show how this is happening. The challenge is we're bombarded by negative news all the time because we pay far more attention to negative news and positive news. So we think the world is in, in crisis, and it is in many areas, just not in all areas. We're joined by Peter Diamandis, who is uh, one of the authors of the book, The Future is Faster Than You Think. You're listening to Wharton Business Daily here on Sirius XM 132. Now, you talk about a variety of industries uh, in this book. So it, it, it feels like that, to a degree, we are looking at uh, a, a major shift expected in a lot of these areas over the next decade or two. Without question. And, and we've lived through a lot of these major shifts, but they become so natural to us that we forget how different it was before. I mean, the entire gutting of the retail industry, right? The number of retail companies have gone bankrupt over the last decade as a result of online shopping, principally Amazon, has been extraordinary. At the same time, Cubas remember that there was this there was this like dominance and this hegemony of Hollywood with Fox and Paramount and Disney, all the main studios, because they owned the the actors, they owned the studio equipment, they owned they had the capital. But now we've seen this explosion in from YouTube and Netflix where um, it's changed. Now the major creators of content are not the studios; it's everybody else. We're going to see very similar, a, for me, the biggest disruptions we'll see are in healthcare and in education. Does that mean that the entrepreneur should be very, uh, should feel very promising about where their kind of world is going? I mean, the options for entrepreneurs moving forward? I, I, I believe so. I define an entrepreneur as a person who finds a great problem and solves it. And our ability to both find problems and use the technologies that are demonetizing and democratizing. They're getting cheaper and available to everybody uh, to solve problems as greater than ever before. And, and so it's, it is a golden age of entrepreneurship. Uh, and for me, that makes the world a better place. Going back to uh, those couple of areas you spoke about a, a minute ago, healthcare and education, because those are two areas that we have talked about a lot uh, on this show and on this channel over the last few years. And, and specifically with education, since I'm sitting here at the University of Pennsylvania, what is it that, that you believe we are looking at in terms of a shift in education moving down the road, whether it be here at the, at the college level or at, at, the, at the primary level? Sure, happily. You know, in uh, in the book, the future, my, my book, Futures Faster, you think there's a chapter on every one of these industries. And on the education chapter, it really is education. We're going to need to reinvent education both at the K through 12 and university. And honestly, education will end up becoming a continuous process throughout our life. Right? It used to be 100 years ago, you would go and get your college degree if you were lucky enough. There were very few people who, who did. 
And by the age of 22, you would have learned something. And 100 years ago, the average uh, lifespan for a male was around 40. So that education had to last you about 18 years during the time that nothing changed very quickly. Uh, but today, you know, we're in a continuous process. I, I do an event every year called Abundance 360 for a group of 360 CEOs, and I look at how fast things are changing. I look back 100 years ago to the year 1920, and I scrubbed the world for what were the inventions of the year 1920. And, and there were four. There were four innovations in the year 1920. Number one, uh, the first commercial radio station went online in Pittsburgh. Yep. Um, number two, the Band-Aid came out. Uh, number three, the portable hair dryer came out. And number four, uh, it was the three-color lens traffic light that came out. And that was it. I mean, <laughs> it's, it, we're getting you know four of those level innovations per microsecond these days. So how do you keep up with this rate of change? Um, our brains were designed and built for a very different world. Our brains evolved in the savannas of Africa hundreds of thousands, millions of years ago, when nothing changed century to century and millennium to millennium. And, and so today, our brains are not wired for exponential change. The only way we can truly understand that is to up, constantly up, be updating ourselves on this is now possible, this is now possible. And, and that process of education can't just take place at a, you know, a four-year period in our university lives. It needs to be a continuous process of education yeah. in the world. And we're going to see lots of interesting technologies enable us there. I think principally it's going to be uh, virtual reality coming online, and it's going to be what we call spatial computing. It's sort of the combination of augmented reality, 5G networks, which are super high bandwidth, low latency, and AI, where you're wearing uh, glasses that are feeding information to your eyes overlaid on top of the world that you're seeing. And that information can be turned on for a constant education as you're walking down the street, um, in uh, in Philadelphia, uh, you can turn on education mode or history mode, and it shows you all the historical sites. So you're always learning. Or you can turn on shopping mode, and you can be seeing what is not in just the window of a store, but what's you know what's for sale inside the store that your AI knows that you want. Or gaming mode, and you can be you know sort of shooting up a Star Wars universe walking down the street. So it's a it's an amazing world that is rushing our way, that is about empowering the individual to do what they want to do, where they want to do it, whenever they want to do it. I would think then, just in that scenario that you laid out, you're talking also of kind of a, a structural shift of how we are going to think moving forward. Because, you know, today, obviously, you still have a lot of people that you are, you are constantly on, it feels like, you know, on a, on a daily basis. But people like to have that break from it from time to time. What you're suggesting is that, that maybe we're going to see more and more of that constantly on mentality moving forward. I think that ultimately it's a choice everyone makes, and it's a choice that few people make to turn off to really go on a, on a technology diet because we're so fed by technology, it, it allows us to make our desires instantly materialize. And that is going to get even more intense, right? Where your AI, you're, you know, we're all going to have a version, if you remember Jarvis from Iron Man, right? This AI that yeah. is around him. I call it an AI software shell. Within this decade, 
probably in the next five, six years, we'll see Alexa and Siri and Google Now all evolve to a point where it's a version of your version of Jarvis. And that Jarvis is going to know what you want all the time. It is listening to your conversations because you gave it permission, read your emails, uh, looking what you eat, and it's making the world automagical. As you walk into the room, it's turning the right music on at a temperature to the right place. It's you're walking towards the front door. It knows your calendar, and it's ordered an autonomous car to pull up in front of you. It knows you didn't sleep very well because of your, you know, your aura ring sleep data that you have, and ultimately um, it pulls up a car with a, a bed in the back so you can, you can take a nap. And I call it sort of automagical. It's automatic and magical. And, and it might sound crazy, but go back 20 years and tell somebody, listen, I'm going to talk to my phone and I can instantly know the GDP of Ghana by just saying a, you know, a couple of words and it's presented to me. I mean, we forget how the technology we're using and taking for granted now is extraordinary compared to just 12 years ago or 15 years ago. How will then that play out? And, and especially we're starting to, to see this scenario develop at, at this point when you have concerns by our leaders, by our governments about this continuing growth of technology and more importantly, this continuing influence of technology. So there's a challenge, there's a problem that uh, we humans are, you know, we don't, uh, evolve or change at anything other than a linear rate. If you look back how we are genetically and cognitively, there's very little difference between someone born today and someone born at the time of the Great Pyramids. But the technology that we're using is doubling in power every 18 to 24 months. And uh, a lot of times we have this conflict between uh, sort of institutions, government institutions, as an example, that want to keep things the way they are. You know, it turns out humans like waking up in the morning and knowing that the world is exactly the way it was when they went to sleep. Uh, we don't like change to a large degree, and a lot of government structures around the world are, are stabilization factors. But that's not the case. Uh, technology doesn't slow down. There's no on-off switch. There's no velocity switch. And if a government makes something illegal, it simply means that technology moves someplace else. So. You know, we've seen different governments that have made Uber illegal or set laws on Airbnb um, to maintain the, you know, existing structures in place. Uh, and that will last only so long until the value is so great to the consumer who says, I don't care. I want to be able to have my autonomous Uber or my flying car or my Hyperloop or my AI, whatever it is, because it makes my life more enjoyable or makes my life easier. And then things change. If you can, uh, let's shift now to healthcare because uh, I think healthcare is interesting from a couple of perspectives. There's obviously the actual care and the improvement of care for the individual, but there's also the business aspect of, of it as well. So, how will this shift impact healthcare overall, do you think? So, we're going to see uh, a shift. I mean, healthcare today is very Baroque and Baroquean. It is um, extremely expensive, uh, and it isn't health care. It's sick care. The system takes care of you after you're sick, right? It's not life insurance that keeps you alive. It pays your, your relatives after you're dead. Yeah. And I think we're going to start to see a, a reversal of this where health insurance and life insurance is about how do I keep you healthy, how do I keep you alive, which is where I think it should be. Um, 
so a number of things. We're we're seeing extraordinarily extraordinary power coming in in the form of AI uh, for diagnostics. Um, I'm a medical doctor by training, not by practice, but there's no way any medical doctor can keep up with the amount of of knowledge being being created per day, um, or the amount yeah. of paperwork being uh, created per day. And so uh, we're going to start to see AI and physicians collaborate. Uh, there will be a point in the not-too-distant future, definitely within this decade, that it will become malpractice not to use AI in your diagnosis. Right? Ultimately, it will be so... Um, and AI will be so valuable that it is able to look at the data uh, in a way that humans cannot. Uh, we can now sequence your genome. We can now image your body uh, in high-resolution MRI. It is possible. So I'll give you one example. One of the companies I co-founded, it's in, um, uh, based in San Diego and uh, Florida, San Francisco, L.A. It's called uh, uh, Human Longevity. We have a program called the Health Nucleus. You go for three hours and we digitize you. Uh, we sequence your uh, entire genome. We, we do an MRI of your entire body, your brain, your brain vasculature, coronary CT, lung CT, your uh, microbiome, your metabolome. Used to be $25,000 a visit, it's down now to six or $7,000 a visit, and it'll continue to get cheaper and cheaper as more people use it. But it turns out that when it was expensive, we just published a paper this week in the journal PMAS that of the first 1,200 patients who came in, the numbers are insane. One and a half percent of these wealthy people have a high-grade cancer or tumor they didn't know about. About 3% have a brain or aortic aneurysm they didn't know about. Wow. Another 5 or 6% have a serious cardiac condition that they don't know about. And, and these are the people with the best health care. So ultimately, um, it is going to become possible where, listen, we all are going to end up in the hospital or doctor's office from something at some point. But you don't want to find out about it at stage three or stage four. You want to find out about it in the very beginning where it's curable. And so we're going to, make, we're going to reverse medicine to make it predictive. Your genetics say you're likely to get this. Let's watch out for it. It's personalized just for you. And it's preventative where we find it at the beginning and we zap it. And that's the way you drop the cost of health care, you know, 10x or 100x. And ultimately, it's about the data. I don't think it's going to be the current health care systems that are, are taking care of us. It'll more likely be Google or Amazon or Apple. Uh, Tim Cook last year said, listen, you know, a couple of decades from now, when you look back at Apple, we're going to be best known for our, our work in health care. Um, and I think he's probably right. You talked about your your Abundance 360 event and and, and the, uh, the the discussions with CEOs. When you talk in general, though, uh, are CEOs becoming more aware of these shifts now and, and understand the, the speed at which their companies are going to be changing? You know, I, I hope so. Um, again, my goal is to you know to help people get out of a scarcity mindset and a fear mindset and realize that, you know, when we think about scarcity versus abundance, uh, the scarcity mindset is, listen, we only have one pie. I'm going to slice it thinner and thinner. And when my neighbor gets something, I don't get something. And that's BS. It's not about that. It's instead, let's bake more pies because we're able to now across the board so that it's a rising tide for everybody. Um, and I think uh, a lot of CEOs are heads down and they're focused on, 
uh, how do I make my business work versus how do I reinvent my business. The perfect example I wrote about my last book called Bold was the story of Kodak, right? Kodak in 19, um, in, let's see, uh, in 1998, it's $28 billion market cap, top of its game. Yeah. 20 years earlier, they had invented the digital camera, but they, they ignored the digital camera because they forgot what business they were in. The, you know, the leadership of Kodak said, listen, we're in the paper and chemicals business. That's not what, that wasn't their business. That was their profit center. And their real business was preserving people's memories. And when they didn't pay attention to the best capable way of delivering on their original intent from George Eastman, it eventually drove them into bankruptcy. So everybody's business, how you do what you do, how you deliver your service, your product to your client is going to be changing. We're going to see more change in this next decade than we have in the entire past century. We're also going to see more wealth creation in this next decade than we have in the entire past century. Are there are there concerns that you have, though, with some of, uh, of these these shifts that are that are going to occur? Of course. I mean, I don't want to make it sound like a technological utopia. Uh, we're going to have challenges. Uh, we're still going to have the use of these technologies for malintent. We'll have terrorism. We'll have, um, you know, uh, people who are using AI to try and, and scam. We see this still today. We're going to still have echo chambers, uh, which drive, uh, you know, people to come up with ideas and notions that are false, but are reinforced by the people that they're listening to. Um, and we're still seeing significant environmental impact, uh, species die off and things like this. But despite it all, when we make a list of all the problems, I'd rather be focusing on solving those problems with the technologies we have today versus the technologies we had even just 20 years ago. We're more empowered than ever before to stop complaining about problems and start solving problems. There is also a, a survey tied to the book, which uh, I guess has just come out. And I wanted to touch on this for a moment towards the end of our time, because there are, there are some esti- estimations in this survey about things that we will likely see either in the very near future or in the next decade or two, or maybe some that we won't see in our lifetime. But some of the things that are in here that are expected we will see are very interesting. And let me touch on a couple of them and get your reaction. One being the average healthy lifespan, which right now for a lot of people is probably in the mid seventies, uh, is going to be at some point over a hundred years old. Yeah, we're seeing, you know, uh, our understanding of why we age, uh, the, the, what happens to us and how do we, slow it down, is getting better than ever. There's a slew of companies working on being able to regrow your heart, liver, lung, and kidneys. And so when something fails, you can literally replace it. This is the way we keep airplanes and cars going, you know, much longer than their expected lifetime by having spare parts. Well, the spare parts are coming. Uh, Other technologies like stem cells um, that are, you know, one of my companies uh, called Fountain Life has been working on developing stem cell treatments uh, that will rejuvenate your stem cell population. Our stem cells for our kids are coursing through our bodies. Stem cells are the regenerative engine. They go and they repair any kinds of broken tissues. Um, but they, we deplete our stem cell population by the age of 30, and the 
technology, if you would, the cells to replenish and rejuvenate are not there, but there are ways to replenish those um, in the body. There's other uh, technologies, uh, wind pathway, synolytic medicines, and so forth. So I think we have the ability to add an extra healthy decade um, some over the next decade. And then guess what? Technology doesn't stop during this decade. It's yeah. still accelerating. And so we're going to intercept a whole slew of new technologies that then add additional years to your life. Well, there are a couple on here that I think we are, we're basically at right now. I mean, so, things as simple as drones being able to deliver a McDonald's meal to your home. We're, we're almost, we're almost at that point right now. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, the autonomous robo taxis, you know, we're, that's, that's coming along and it's, probably pretty close you also have in here you'll be able to purchase a 3d printed house for ten thousand dollars and when you think about something like that that has the potential to have a huge change on the real estate industry so there's a company called new story they work with another company called icon that manufactures this large-scale 3d printer that exudes cement like a wasp uh creates a mud wasp creates a home and they're beautiful homes i i've personally uh, financed a number through my organization, and uh, they're up and operational, and they're 3D printing a 50-home community as their first one down in, um, in Mexico. Uh, the technology exists today, and it should be going to get better and better. Now, it's not operational in the United States because of building codes, but that will, get, that will change as well. And so we're demonetizing the cost of living, right? An autonomous electric car is four times cheaper than you owning a car. And guess what? You're being chauffeured around in the back of that electric autonomous car. You get an hour or two hours of your day back, and what's that worth to you? On top of that, we now have flying cars. Um, there's over a billion dollars a year going into flying cars. Every major aircraft manufacturer, and most of the car manufacturers are investing in these things. Uh, and, you know, we're going to start to see a hyperloop. A lot of our world uh, is going to get faster and more efficient. And that's the theme of the book, Peter. And it's been a pleasure talking with you because I think this is an incredible look down the road for what we're going to see in the very near future, but also in, in the next couple of decades. Thank you very much, Peter, for coming on today. My pleasure. And I hope this book, The Future is Faster Than You Think, gives people a hopeful and compelling and abundant vision of the future, because that's the world we have the potential to create and live into. Thank you so much. Peter Diamandis. Again, the book is The Future is Faster Than You Think. Uh, it is available in bookstores and online for your purchase right now. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.